Steve Geiger joins me on episode 82. Steve is from the Philadelphia area of the US and he absorbed the blues harmonica players when he first got into playing with John Lee Williamson, a big early inspiration. Steve was also great friends with the late Paul Osher, making three albums with him. Steve also teamed up with the legendary Jimmy Rogers over the course of 14 years. Steve has released five albums under his own name with a great mix of diatonic and chromatic blues. Steve's long-standing band is the Excellos, who are still performing more than 40 years after their formation, and Steve is due to play in a Jimmy Rogers tribute in Switzerland with Dennis Grunling and Nick Moss sometime soon. This podcast is sponsored by Zydel Harmonicas. Visit the oldest harmonica factory in the world at www.zydel1847.com or on Facebook or Instagram at Zydel Harmonicas. Hello, Steve Geiger, and welcome to the podcast. Neil, it's a pleasure. Thank you. So you're talking to us from uh, Philadelphia in the U.S.? North of the city. We're in a little area called Bucks County. I'm more closer to Trenton, New Jersey, than I am to Philly. Uh, And is that where you grew up? I'm actually still living in the same neighborhood in the same house that I grew up in. Oh, fantastic. So what was the music scene like around there, and what what got you interested in in blues and... Well, if you know the one record I have, a CD that came out on Severin called Radio Blues. Yep. That radio sits on my bedstand now. The one on the cover, yeah. Yeah, I confiscated that in about 1957, 58, because the family was out watching TV and I wanted to listen to the radio. It was all AM and I was zooming in on it and I would, you know, catch a song, I'd like it and I'd listen to it. So that's how I got into music. I was like that all the way through. I still am. So I believe that when you first started getting interested in music, you were into singing. Well, I was really into doo-wop, you know, the vocal group stuff. And, you know, started in the 40s, the vocal groups, you know. I guess little Frankie Lyman and the teenagers. I've always loved doo-wop. So you were singing then, Is that, that's how you started out in music, was it? Yeah, Yeah, I was absorbing all that, you know, that stuff from back then in the 50s and early 60s. In the late mid 50s, there was a lot of great, this ballad singer. I think then your first instrument was that you played guitar before you picked up the harmonica. Yeah, I was, we were doing a, like a school play and this girl sat down and she was playing guitar and I said, well, so I got interested, but I don't know, me and a guitar, we're okay, but we just never connected like the harmonica. I started that and I was about maybe 12. I took lessons for a while. I still know most of that stuff, you know, the rudiments. But my sister-in-law, when I was 17, maybe 18, she was dating my brother. She handed me her father's harmonica. And within two years, I started uh, just 
catching on. I was starting to hear guys at school and people were playing. And then when I went to college, I met a buddy of mine, John Gunning, that we're still good, real good friends today. We were in a class together in college. And I found out that he was really into this stuff. So I grabbed him on the way out and he goes, well, meet me at this gas station on Friday night. So I did. So he was pumping gas there. He told me to watch the gas station. He went back to the neighborhood right behind him, came back with a portable record player with all these albums, which I had no idea. I didn't know anything about this stuff. I was listening to Muddy Waters originally. They used to come on this one rock station we had that would play blues, the original version of I've Got My Mojo Working that Muddy did. So I used to hear that. I didn't even know who Little Walter was. I didn't know any of these people. Well, you were playing the harmonica at this stage, were you? Yeah, I was doing more like um, like country blues without even knowing it. I did a lot of train stuff and things like that, you know. And then all of a sudden, everything everything started to change after that, after I heard this stuff. And then I'm out buying records. Yeah, I read somewhere that uh, Blue Midnight from Little Walter was a real big one for you. I blew my mind. I didn't even know the harmonica could sound like that. You know, and I mean, I got turned on to George Smith. You know, Little Walter, Big Walter, both Sonny Boys. Picking up on um, John Lee Williamson, Sonny Boy the First, Billy Boy Arnold in, uh, in his recent biography described you as the one who can really sing and play like uh, the first Sonny Boy. It was a book about Muddy Waters and a bluegrass player. And then Muddy Waters, they did a whole thing on Muddy, because if you didn't go through Muddy's band, you weren't considered a, a real blues musician. But in this book, Muddy said if you didn't learn how to play like John Lee Williamson, you weren't going to get this stuff right. And that was like a billboard saying that in big letters. That was that was like the gospel right there. I took it to heart. I started buying every record I could find on John Lee. And I bought all the blues classics by, uh, was it Chris Statchwitz put out? Then I would listen to anybody that was playing any of his songs and see what was going on with all that. And I just totally absorbed myself. My one guitar player that I work with, he's also my one of my favorite harmonica players, Richie Scowls, can also play a lot of that stuff too. Which ones of the John Lee uh, albums would you really point people at? Gosh, there's so many different songs that he did. You know, the first one was Good Morning Little Schoolgirl. Don't find the one that I'm loving And I ain't going to let my airplane down Stuff like that, Sloppy Drunk Blues, which actually was recorded originally, if you didn't know this, by Ida Mae Mellon in the late 20s. You know, Scrapper and Blackwell did a version of that, and John Lee did too. He did one called Bring Me Another Half a Pint, and then, of course, you know, he did the Sloppy Drunk first, um, then he did Bring Me Another Half a Pint, and then Jimmy Rogers, of course, with Little Walter blowing harp, you know, did Sloppy Drunk Blues. I don't know how many times I played that with Jimmy. <laughs> so what do you think it is about uh, John Lee's style? That Obviously, he's kind of the precursor to all the all the big players in the 50s, wasn't he? Yes, in the 50s, he definitely was. I mean, everybody was influenced by him because he was really the guy that was out there. Jazz Gillum was also a great harmonica player. I can't play any of jazz stuff. To me, he's harder for me. Great singer, great songwriter. I take nothing from jazz, uh, jazz Gillum at all. I mean, I, I, I respect his playing and and everything he did musically. But John Lee just had this thing that people seemed to like more. You know, that Good Morning Little Schoolgirl, Shake the Boogie, whatever the songs were. Sugar Mama. You know, you can tell like towards the end, like in the late 40s, like when he did like uh, New Morning Blues.
You could tell that he was amplifying, even if he wasn't amplifying on air. He was starting to play less chordal stuff and more single notes. Of course, we never got to see him. You know, he passed away and, well, he got murdered, actually, in 1948. So at the age of 34, it's crazy. You know, really, he was, he was still in the height of his career to me. Yeah. You know, from 1937, when he put out Good Morning Little Schoolgirl, right up to 48, you know, his stuff was just, you know, and you could tell with the different guitar players because they were playing electric behind so Paul Osher is someone that you were really good friends with as well, yeah. So mm-hmm. sad, sadly, he passed away in, in 2021. So I think he w- he was part of your your development as a player as well. I w- reading that you actually initially learned some harmonica from his guitar player. So uh, you know what what about your relationship with Paul? You know, as things went on, I had a job that I was doing. I, I hated up in Trenton because I swung shifts. You know, every week I'd be on a different shift. Well, I broke my wrist right after that, and in '75, and so I was off. Well, first I met the guy, Richard Scowls, about two weeks before I went to see Paul. I used to go to Philly and pick up this newspaper from New York. They always advertised all the people playing up in the village and stuff like that. So I had, you know, I had a, good, a pretty decent car so I could, I could drive up there. And Paul used to play this place called Barber's My Way in Brooklyn, where he was from. So one, one Tuesday night, I went up with a buddy of mine and we found a place. You know, Paul was there. I, you know, I introduced him. You know, I, I, I did one number. I did like that muddy shuffle, the little Walters. Evan shuffle. And uh, so that's what I did that night. Uh, Ola Dixon was on drums. Paul was on piano most of the night. Okay, which kind of blew me away. I did not. I thought he played just a monica. Nah. I mean, he played piano that night. He played some harp, not much. And then at the end, his guitar player, Frankie Padini, Paul took the guitar from him and he started playing guitar. So it really kind of blew me away. And Paul was teaching me stuff right then about leaving space mm-hmm. uh, in between the notes, you know, your timing. So I, I got a lot out of Paul that first night. But when I got with Frankie, Frankie called me one day and said, where you been, man? We haven't seen you. So I started going up and hanging out with Frankie. And he lived in Queens, which was kind of further out from Brooklyn. And I used to drive by Paul's house because I knew where Paul lived on Flatbush Avenue. So I would go up and hang out with Frankie. I didn't know Frankie played a Monica. And the guy was a monster. I mean, he could do, you know, he could play like Junior Wells or Cotton or any of the other guys, you know, little Big Walter and all that stuff. But he also could play, you know, like the Sonny Terry stuff. So then one day we went over to uh, the Bronx and met this guy, Gene Plotnick. Now, I don't know any of these guys, you know, until, you know, everything's all new to me. So I watched, I listened to Gene and, and uh, Frankie playing and he said, come on, do something. Gene goes, you know, play bass. So I started trying to play the, learn to play the bass on the harmonica. Even, you know, even on the diatonics. So mm-hmm. that, that became an interesting concept. Gene asked me to play Walter's Boogie one day when I was up there. And so I played what I thought was Walter's Boogie. And then he goes, now go home and learn it. Well, I was pretty depressed driving home two and a half, three hours back to my house. But I, I'll tell you what, I, I told Gene about 20 years later, he says, man, that was one of the best things anybody ever said to me. Yeah. Because I went home and learned this stuff. And, uh, you know, that's what you just sit there with the record. So you had a long association with Paul. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I used to go see Paul constantly in New York. I would sit in with him, do a couple of numbers and, you know. You released three albums with him. I'm going home, baby. Yeah.
yeah, I was pleasantly surprised, you know, that Paul, you know, wanted to do that stuff with me. Were you playing all the harmonica on these albums or did, were you uh, swapping it with Paul? On the one on Paul played some stuff. He played the bass harp on uh, the things I used to do. Things that I used to do, baby. Child, I won't do no more. But Paul could play anything. I mean, he could play accordion. I think he even played saxophone and probably even trumpet. I think anything that guy picked up, he could he could play around with and get it going. You know, I didn't know he knew country blues. And uh, I was over Frankie's, you know, up in Queens. I'm coming back and I stop at Paul's and Paul's sitting on the, on the bumper of his car. And he goes, so you're trying to learn this stuff, huh, for Frankie? And he starts playing the same stuff. When I left there, I says, what doesn't he know? <laughs> I actually... My buddy Lou Lou Erlanger, who does a radio show, he's from up in New Hampshire, right right on the border of New Hampshire and Connecticut. He's got a really, I have a great CD that I, actually a cassette. I got to get it back off of Lou. I recorded a Paul back in in the mid-70s. And Paul's playing unbelievable on this thing. His harmonica is just like, the sound quality is great too. You know, we wanted to put that out. And so, of course, Paul Osher was Muddy Waters' harmonica player for a time as well, wasn't he? he was, yeah, he was. He was the first, actually, the first white guy in his band, Muddy's band. But okay. he didn't have anybody before that. You know, Paul Butterfield was around, but he never went on the road with, with Muddy. Yeah. So, did did you know Paul when that happened when he joined Muddy's band? No, I didn't know Paul back in the sixties. It was I met him in seventy five. That was the earliest I I met him. Paul. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you knew another of Muddy Waters' harmonica players in Jerry Portnoy's. Jerry and I are really good friends, and I used to tell Jerry, he says, if I couldn't figure out a song, like an instrumental, like Off the Wall or something, I'd come and I'd hear you play it, and I'd say, okay, now I got it. I could figure out what I wasn't doing right or something. Yeah, Jerry and I, you know, we we stay we stay in contact. And so you used to hang out and play around with him as well, did you? In the back in the day. Oh yeah, I used to go watch Jerry a lot. You know, every time he was with Muddy. So then, moving back to yourself, then. So I think your first band was the Excellos. Well, actually, we had a, I played a band called Rock Bottom. I named that group from Little Walter's instrumental. Uh, a bunch of guys from my area, Steve Crismore, Barry Brown, Danny Bending on drums. We had a, a saxophone player to come in, Bobby Michaels. I just played with him on Sunday in my neighborhood at a club. So, you know, that was the first one. It was a, another one. Um, I had a band called the Blues Rockers. In 1980, I was hanging out with Ola Dixon and Danny Russo in New York at Dan Lynch's, you know, the Bill Dicey ran. And I used to go see Bill Dicey. Bill was a really good harmonica player, played guitar. I had heard that he also played drums behind Sonny Boy, Rice Miller, in the, I guess the late 50s or early 60s. And um, I think there was another guy too. He might have played with Slim Slim Harpo. So the, so the band, the Excellos, when did they come into it? Well, I started going up to Boston to, to rehearse. I used to pick Ola up and go up there because she lived in the Bronx. And on my way up, I'd go, to, go up there. And the guitar player, George Lewis, we wanted to get a band together, and that's what we, and he named it the Excellos. I didn't know much about Excello recordings. I was just strictly into the Chicago stuff at that time. I was very kind of ignorant to other styles of blues that was out there. 
You know, you had your Detroit stuff, to, which was very close to Chicago. You know, the different players out of there. But that's what we did. we named it then, and that was 1980. Are you still playing with these guys? I got a concert of you playing them in 2021. Is this the same guys? Oh yeah, you know it changed over the years. I mean, different guys would come in and go, and but basically. Like Sunday, I did. I did. Uh, we did a gig. We had Brian Bassese. Uh, we used to call him Brian B on uh, guitar for a long time. We a few other guys. That was the mainstay. You know, different guys would come in. You know, in and out. But that was the mainstay with that Brian um, on drums. Ola Dixon was still in the band. You know, we got, we got a couple other guys named Chet Woodward and and Randy Lippincott. Chet played drums. Randy played bass. We recorded back then. We never put the stuff out. A couple songs that I we. Went up North uh, Jersey and recorded some stuff. And recorded five songs just one day. Is this still, I mean, is this just a part-time band now? Is this your main band, still the XLOs? Oh, yeah. That's that's the only band I've, I've really ever played with in my area. Like last Sunday, this past Sunday, we played together. Now we got a guy named uh, Rich McPherson. He goes under the name of Filthy Rich. Richie Scalis is still in there playing guitar. Uh, John F. Kennedy on the drums. Gary Phillips on the bass. And Bobby Michaels on tenor and myself. Great, yeah. So you're going, still going strong after 40 years. That's a good, good achievement. Yeah. Another amazing thing you did is that you played with Jimmy Rogers for getting on for sort of 14 years or so. Yes, it was on and off 14 years, yeah. Yeah, so from about 1980 is this? Yes, 1980. So, so just explaining to people, if they don't know, uh, who Jimmy Rogers is. So Jimmy Rogers was part of the, the headhunters of, a, of the great band of Muddy Waters in the what the early 90s, late 40s, early 50s. Were, were So Muddy Waters, Jimmy Rogers and Little Walter. So a lot of those really early, classic, amazing Little Walters songs with uh, Muddy Waters are, are with Jimmy Rogers on that. And Jimmy was not to be messed with on the harmonica either, which I found out through James Cotton. Cotton told me, I just was like in 1997, I, I went down to see James play in this little place in Philly. James went off. He said, if Jimmy had stayed on a Monica, it would have been Little Walter and Jimmy. That's yeah. how much Cotton thought how good Jimmy played a Monica. I only heard Jimmy tune up with one of my harps in 1980 once. They were monsters, you know, those guys. All that stuff that they recorded back then, you know, there's only one recording of Jimmy playing a Monica. And he actually re-recorded that song for Chest back in, the, I think, the mid-50s. You know, he played a monocle on that one, and it's pretty much like it, like he was giving Snooky Pryor and Little Walter their styles. So, yeah, have you got any good stories about, you know, Jimmy Rogers with um, the Muddy Waters and Little Walter, that outfit they had back then? Oh, yeah, they just, you know, the stuff that they did back then was just crazy. When, it, when they walked into a club, that was about the end of the band that was there. Jimmy was actually playing a monocle before Little Walter got in. Tell us a story about how you managed to hook up with Jimmy Rogers. I tried to get with Jimmy in 1973. I wrote him a letter. Living Blues put out an article on Jimmy, number 13, with Victoria Spivy on the front and Johnny Ace on bass. I was so into Jimmy at that point. Jim O'Neill, who ran Living Blues, I wrote him a letter to give to Jimmy. So I had about a couple, about, about a month or so later, I get a letter back from Jimmy's wife, Dorothy, who I became very good friends with years later. So she was all excited that I was going to move to Chicago. And, you know, I figured I'd move out there, take lessons off of Big Walter. I, I'd be in like Flint, you know. I didn't do that. I did finally get to see Jimmy, but that was in the mid, mid-70s, mid you know, playing in Chicago. You know, he'd have like, uh, you know, different harmonica players up there. There was a guy from New York to play with him, Joe Burson, who passed away a long time ago. And then Big Walter would come in and sit in. 
mm-hmm. especially on songs that Big Walter played on. I mean, that was nuts, you know, to see to see that. You know, I really didn't get to hang out with Jimmy in the in the seventies that much. You know, he was he was either doing different stuff here and there. He didn't play the local circuit that much, you know, in Chicago. But when we got together in eighty, we were playing up in uh, Camden, Maine, at a place called Mister Kites, and somebody they, we were talking about it on the stage. We were rehearsing a little bit, you know, to get the sound up. And uh, I said, "You got this?" I said, "Yeah, I got it." And, and, and Jimmy goes, "We'll see." So that kind of like scared me a little. So I had a ump it up that night, you know, pump it up. Yeah. So, you know, we played and we got along really good. I, I knew his songs and I just backed them up. One night we were at the place called in Boston, called the Tama Shanner in Brookline, Boston. And Coco Taylor's band there, Jerry Portnoy's there, uh, a couple other Monica players, I think Barbecue Bob and all these guys that was with Jimmy before I got with Jimmy, Barbecue. We're doing a song and 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 we end this thing and Jimmy leans over to me and goes, get, get, give me an E, quick, quick. So I, I Blew an E note on the A harp, and he goes, kick something off quick, quick. So I kicked this instrumental off, Neil, and I said, damn, it's too fast. But I had to go with it. In the middle of the song, I hear this, like, yelling. I looked over, and Jimmy's coming over to mic stand at me with his guitar. It was like the exorcist. I mean, I'm looking at this guy, and we're all of a sudden, now we're face-to-face. And he's playing this stuff on, on the guitar that I never heard before, and I don't think I ever heard since the bottom stuff that he was playing behind me. And we played and nobody wanted to go near the stage after that. And we finished that song and Jimmy leaned over to me and, and starts chuckling. He goes, that's the way I like to back you up. Uh-huh. And all I could think about was what were they like back in the 50s? Him, Muddy, and Little Walter when they're playing together. Yeah, That's all I could think about. He never did anything like that again. I heard him playing some great great stuff over the years. Um, but that thing he did that night was just poof. Did you go touring with him? Did you go outside the U.S.? Or? We did Europe. We did uh, almost a month in Europe. We did, uh, originally we started in coming into Scotland. We did Scotland for two days, went up to Ireland, came back. We played England and I don't know, we, we played just about everywhere around it. We played, you know, Switzerland, uh, Sweden, all yeah. these different places. Yeah. Was this in a band or is it was it a duo? Oh, it was a whole band. A whole band came over from Europe. Um, at that point, we had Richie Scowers. He was playing bass. Little Jimmy, his son, was playing second guitar. We had Ted Harvey on drums and uh, Piano Willie on piano. So that was the whole band. You know, it was like it was great. We went. We were over there for quite. You know, uh, I was amazed. Great experience. So you played on and off with him until he passed away in uh, in 1998. Yeah, actually about 1994, I, I kind of like, you know, we kind of like, he had different guys in the band that I wasn't yeah. uh, that crazy about. So I, uh, you know, I would go and see him every now and then, but that was about it. Uh, we didn't play that much together anymore. So he started his solo career after, you know, the, the, when he'd stopped playing Muddy Waters. He played uh, That's All Right with Little Walter playing harmonic, which is a very iconic I song. I don't love me no more, but that's all right. Every night then I wonder Who's loving you tonight Take it away, man He also played probably a lot of people's favourite harmonica a blues harmonica song which was Walking By Myself with Big Walter but Big Walter, you know, I was funny. You know, he had good rock and Charles. 
we were, I was driving, we were, and Jimmy was sitting in the front seat, and we were talking about all kinds of stuff. And, and Jimmy brought that whole thing, that whole situation up. And he goes, little Walter said, man, Walter was supposed to be in California at the time. Walter came back and says, man, I wanted to be on that recording. And, and Jimmy goes, I didn't want him or Big Walter. I wanted Charles because Charles played that song with Jimmy on the stage before they recorded it. Charles knew the song. This is Walking By Myself. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought Walter, Big Walter, you know, it's classic to me. His, uh, his harmonica solos were classic. Jimmy not happy with that recording then? You I think he still was, but I think he just thought that Charles would have done better. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Again, it's such an iconic harmonica song. It's almost Big Walter didn't play in it, as you say, yeah. I think what Big Walter did on there was was beyond. Oh, yeah, it's amazing, yeah. And, you know, they had to go get Big Walter. Yeah. Supposedly, he was painting houses. I, I, I think he actually played in, in that stuff. I'm not sure, in his painting outfit. <laughs> well, he probably had bits of paint on his uh, his overalls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or something, you know, because they Charles skipped out, and you know they were in a panic because they were recording and they needed to get these songs done. So, moving on to another story about you uh, hanging out with the greats, uh, Steve, as you have some great stories. So, uh, tell us a story about how you um, you took your mother to see a Muddy Waters show. Oh yeah, that was in 1975, I think 75. See, I didn't know my mom was was listening to the stuff that I was playing. One day she come by, you know, she goes, play, play that, this song, you know, by that guy, that minor one. And I'm thinking, thinking minor. I said, I know what you mean. I'm ready. So I put it on. The minute I dropped the needle on that album, my mom's face broke out in a big smile. That's the one she goes, that's it. So I guess it was about a year later. It was actually the first time I got to see Muddy. He was playing in a little club called The Main Point in Bryn Mawr, PA on the west side of Philly. My mom followed me out. I had never seen Muddy before. There was a guy named uh, Jesse Graves opening up, and I'd played with Jesse, so I knew him. So I went down. Muddy was right there, and we started talking about different stuff. And, you know, we were, uh, you know, playing in different positions on the harmonic, and Muddy started laughing, at it, you know, about it. And says, yeah, we tuned the, tuned the E string down on I'm Ready. And then I asked him, he says, you know, that's my mother's favorite song. She's here with me. Could you play that tonight? So I, I was it. I went back upstairs. I'm sitting with my mom. We're listening to the band and everything's great. Muddy's up there singing. He does Hoochie Coochie Man, which is on that album I had Sail On, was just before I'm ready. I don't know how that happened, but it did. My mom's hit me in the arm. That's one off the record. You know, and I said, okay. I'm having a lot of fun watching my mom be all excited with this stuff. All of a sudden, Muddy looked out at the audience and he, with the most sincere look I ever saw. And he just said, I don't know who this young guy is. He came here with his mother, and we're going to do a little song I recorded back in 1955. And he started that. My mom just had tears down her, down her eyes, and, and that was that was it, and that was great. Let's 
move on to to your albums then, Steve. So obviously you, you we talked about you releasing a few good Steve Osher. So I think you've got five albums out in your own name. You mentioned Radio Blues earlier on, but the first one was um, Last Train to Dover in '97. Was it? Was this the first album you released? Well, I know the first one was Live at the Dinosaur. Okay. You know, with uh, Steve Steve Gomes, Steve Ramsey, Steve Freund, Dave Maxwell, and myself, and we never played together before. We had never that was that when we got up on that stage. That was the first night we ever we had rehearsed a little bit intermittently between everybody. I don't I don't know. You know, I knew who Ramsey was. That was it. You know, I knew Dave Maxwell from playing because you know from him playing with you know Paul Osher in the Village, and that was about it. You know, and and I knew knew Gomes a little bit. You know, Steve Freud, I actually knew because he he was also in New York when I first started going up to New York in the, in the, in seventy five. So, so live at Dinosaur, your first album out. That, that's obviously a live album. So, the last train to Dover is a, a studio album. Yeah, I think was this album in memory of William Clark. It might have been. I think that I put it out for that. I know I, I met Bill over the years, and Bill and I became pretty good friends after we, he was actually touring the South with us. Not with us, but. When I was on the road with Muddy back in like, um, when I went back on in the early 90s, early mid 90s, you know, we just became really good friends after that. And Jeanette said that Bill doesn't usually sit and watch harmonica players, but he did with you. I was all pumped up from being in Memphis, never been there before. And I just got fired up from all the, just, just the atmosphere, you know, yeah. going to WDAI where BB King did his first DJ, you know, just that whole scene down there. Cause yeah. that's where it really all began. You know, all the electric Chicago stuff, you know, Wolf, Sonny Boy, they all came out of there, all them guys. And then they gravitated to Chicago. To me, uh, you know, Memphis was a melting pot, you know, from all the the areas that surrounded Little Rock, Arkansas, all that, you know, all those different areas. Uh, And on this album, you've got a song called Philly Shimmy, which is a harmonica instrument. Is that one that you wrote? Yeah, I would just come up with different stuff. Sometimes I would make them right up at the time. You know, I don't know. It's just, it's some kind of gift I, I have that to be able to do that, you know. And then yeah. something else really interesting on this album is you do a version of John Henry where you're playing it on chromatic. I've ever heard it on chromatic. Yeah, I I don't know what got me into that. Well, you know, I started hanging out with little Sammy Davis. When I met Sammy, the first night I met Sammy, I had heard about him playing with the different guys I worked with. And I went to see him. I wanted to kidnap him and bring him back to my house and and and, and hang out with him because that's how heavy he was. He could sing all kinds of different stuff, like from the 50s, you know, different music. And his blues stuff was was just, you know, he knew the stuff. It was just, it was amazing. Sammy started getting me into playing on the chromatic, you know, a little different, you know, because he was doing different stuff. And I remember being in Chicago, I guess this was in the in the early, early 80s. And I was hanging out with a guy named Big Bad Ben Murphy. And Ben was a guitar player who originally played a Monica behind Jimmy Rogers in the 50s. And he could still play because he took my harp and started playing juke, which I think every everybody in the, in the band could play at the time. 
one of the guys who used to hang out with us back then, he said, man, you got to learn to play juke on the chromatic. So, you know, years later, I started trying to do that, you know, and uh, I got pretty good at that. And at the same time, I, that's when I picked up playing uh, John Henry on there. I used to play that for Paul and Paul used to like it, you know, so I said, good, it's, uh, this is a good, good way of doing it. You're not, not diatonic, you know, playing on a chromatic. Fits well on there, doesn't it? Because not too many bends in that song, so it does fit, fits nicely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You just have to use a slide on a couple notes. I have to practice before I play it on stage now. <laughs> I haven't done it in a while. Uh, did I see somewhere that when you were younger, you, you sort of played classical lessons on chromatic? Is that something you did? I took lessons. I found out about a guy that was in Northeast Philly named Forrest Scott, and he was a classical harmonica player. He knew nothing about blues or any of that stuff. He knew country, but blues, he didn't know much about at all. But, but his classical playing was, was phenomenal. I mean, he could, he could Bach, Beethoven. I was just talking to somebody about that the other night. He could play the flight of the bumblebee, just like, you know, as fast as you can imagine. So I learned a lot of stuff about, you know, tonal things off of him and, you know, the ins and outs of the chromatic, you know. And on your next album, I believe it's just Past Life Blues, I think you released in 1999, uh, you've got a, a sort of George Smith song on there called Monkey on a Limb. You're playing chromatic on that one as well. I did that song because uh, my brother bought that album um, of the of, uh, not of the blues, and I'm not remembering the title. It's when he did on Chris Statswitz, not Chris Statswitz, um, Mike Lidbitter. He did. Uh, he had the blues, Blue Horizon albums, and and he recorded this one with on Durham Durham Records for George George Smith. That was one of the songs that stood out to me. I I learned every song on that record. My brother bought it for me in in '72. At Christmas to seventy one or seventy two, yeah, I think, and I just ate that record up. Yeah, I love, and he also, you know, it's what he's playing. He's playing in sixth position on that. They're in C minor, and what you have to do is you have to, you know, you, you blow the, the blow the open C note, push the slide in, and then you're then you're in then you're in sixth position there, and that and that was it. Great stuff, yeah. So, and then you um you played with a guy called Richard Farrell and that's a duo where you playing the cu- you playing acoustic harmonica on that Mama, don't you hear what I say she don't belong to you come on yeah yeah we, me and Rich, Richard did that we, in fact we just talked the other day for the first time he's in Spain you know he does um, you know a lot of stuff over there he plays with different guys. He, I think he's been doing a little bit with Victor Proertes out over there. Great musician. Victor plays about every instrument, I think. I did some gigs with him with when I was on the road with with the guy from France that brought us over. I've got you doing a sort of Sonny Boy 2 style on there, Rice Miller style, and a song called Cool, Cool Place to Go. Yeah, so...
Yeah, that's a great, great, great song. That was I caught that off of that that album that uh, Chris Chris put out of Sunny Boys. All his stuff on trumpet. Uh, if he hadn't done that, I don't know if anybody would even even have heard most of that stuff. You know, it, most of his early stuff, you either could find the 45s or 78s. I wind up buying a lot of 78s of his stuff off a guy up in Massachusetts named Victor Perlin. And he had him and my buddy Larry that was hanging, took me up there. You know, I had spent, I don't know how much money that day buying stuff off of this guy. And he goes, you just show him the, the Sonny Boy stuff that's on trumpet. And I, I panicked, you know, I said, <laughs> so I didn't even have any money. I had a Sunday guy a check, you know, I took it home. And I'll tell you, hearing that stuff on seventy eights, what a what a difference! It's, it's more like it's right there. I actually have um, "Blue Lights" by Little Walter, where there's no reverb in the beginning when he starts off on the chromatic. There, it's not there. They didn't put it on. <laughs> I don't know how they got it on the forty five and stuff, but they did. And then the album you mentioned um, earlier on Radio Blues, you released in two thousand and eight. <laughs> you put out yeah sad to say dave david earl yeah the owner has about 30 35 songs of mine sitting down there Mm -hmm. of stuff that i recorded about at least 10 years ago now if not longer somehow i have to get it off him i guess i'll have to do one of those GoFundMe things and get some money yeah well here we go (laughs) we can start it right here steve uh we can start a GoFundMe to uh to get your uh your next album out with uh, some great cuts yeah i really do got it but i got enough there for i did a record with dave backing up this other musician, this woman singer. Mm-hmm. And we were out eating and I said, Dave, why don't you just put a double record out on me? I thought he was going to chunk on his food, mm-hmm. you know, at the time. Because, but I, I figured we got that many songs. You yeah. know? And I write a lot of different stuff. I, I never know when, when I'm going to write something. It's not like I could sit down like Neil Sedaka mm-hmm. or any of those guys and sit down and start writing songs. It Stuff just comes to you, yeah. you know, and you got to be ready to write the stuff down or you lose them. Some of the stuff, what when like when you were talking about past life blues, that's the reason that I called that that because I had written some of those songs back in the early seventies, and I can see by your eyes I wrote that. That was like one of the first songs I ever wrote. Oh, pretty darling, without you I can't let very alone. my dad's dogs down in the woods behind me and the song came to me i just kept it for some reason that song stayed stayed with me mm. and you know finally got to record it on on uh yeah so you're writing the lyrics as well because you're a singer of course as well you, you always sing with a band yeah yeah you know i do the best i can with my vocals you know some days are better than others you know but yeah. So in 2010 you released a uh, a book and dvd instruction called blues harmonica through hal leonard yes yeah that was because of tom radai I used Billy Flynn on that. Billy is a great, great guitar player, and he's also a great harmonica player. And that's like one of the things that, you know, when you think about it, 
when you think of little Walter, he had Lewis Myers. Well, Lewis was a great harmonica player. Anywhere little Walter would go on that harp, Lewis knew what was going on to back him up. You know, the same with me with Richard Scowers. Rich played harmonica. We used to do our duo, and people say, who's your favorite harp player? He says, well, he's sitting next to me. So I'd take the guitar and do my little plunking on, on the bass lines, and Rich would play. So then, then, then they didn't say anymore. <laughs> and um, Billy Flynn was the same way. Billy's a great harmonica player. That's what he started off on. And uh, so we, you know, we did that. Yeah. Yeah, great. And I think that's I think that's still available to to uh, purchase. Yes, yes, it is. In fact, I just got I just got a little tiny bit of money from them. Um, Hal Leonard. I have not heard from some of the other companies, but that's the way that goes. <laughs> yeah. No. Great. So it's great to have that out in there as well. You say you played in Europe, so I've got a nice um, a nice clip of you playing at the Fourth Austrian Blues Festival. You're playing a Big Walter song, uh, "Rock This House." So yeah, you, you still you toured around Europe a few times and other places, have you? Oh yes. Well, we started, like I said, we, I played Scotland, Ireland, England. I played Switzerland, Latvia, Estonia, Sweden, Norway, played France, Germany. I went to Russia and played. I went over there with um, the guys from Finland, Tommy Leno. He's a great, great musician. He plays drums, guitar, and harmonica, and he's great at all three of them. In fact, he actually plays a little bit of piano, too. And uh, he's real good in one, in one key. It's the only key he can play in, he says. But he, he does real good at it, you know. Yeah. But that, you know, we, we went to Russia. I, I played in uh, Brazil. Um, there's a lot of great, great musicians down in there, too. Really amazing. You know, Mexico, I played one time with Dennis Grunling. Uh, we went down for a couple of days. It was really nice. It's, it's taking you around the world, the harmonica. Fantastic. Yeah. A question I ask each time, Steve, is if you had only 10 minutes to play, what would you spend those 10 minutes doing? Very early on, and I had a, I was in college for a little bit, and we had an art teacher named Frank Miller. I didn't know Frank played flamenco guitar, and he was a monster at it. And he did a, um, a seminar, and the one thing that took me out with him is he flipped the guitar the opposite direction. He taught his students, whatever you play with with the neck on your left side, flip it over and play it. Play with the neck on the opposite side. That always stuck in my head. So I said, if I want to learn something on harmonica, flip it over. So I would play juke. I started learning juke in the in the, I guess in the in the late seventies. I started getting into this, or it might even been in the eighties, but I I can't remember. So I started playing the opposite direction and trying to learn how to do with that stuff because a lot of those guys played upside down. Little Sammy played. I'm not sure. I think Jimmy Rogers, if I'm not mistaken, actually played upside down, even though he played guitar, you know, straight up. He didn't play left-handed. You know, he used his right hand for strumming and left hand for... That's the first time I've heard that, Steve, someone saying that they'll turn the harmonica around and play it the other way around as well. That's, uh, do you think that was uh, did that teach you a lot? Yeah, it, it it teaches you what you know. And I always thought if I ever had a stroke, I'll be one up. I, I won't have to stop playing. I'll be I'll be <laughs> able to I'll be able to keep playing the opposite direction. But um, I I haven't perfected it all the way. It does. You, you have to change everything. I tongue block, so uh, laying the tongue on the aperture of the 
uh, the harmonica, you have to change that and, and different stuff, you know? So it's, it's pretty interesting. Once you start to hear, then you can go with it. Yeah, I'll have to give it a try. I imagine that's quite difficult to begin with, is it? Uh, yeah, it, it's a little little crazy. I will give that a go afterwards and see how I get on. I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> I could probably do that for you. I, I did bring a Monica's with me. If you want to quickly illustrate it, then cool, yeah, go for it. Playing it upside down now. Face up right way. Back over. Great, sounds great, yeah. And you know, if, if you notice, the tone is diff- a little different when you flip it over. Yeah. It's strange, you know. Yeah, it is a little different. Yeah, no, that's amazing. That's a good ability. I'll, I'll be, I'll be trying that out. You'll be cursing me. I'll probably get these phone messages. <laughs> yeah, I'll move on to the last section now. We're talking, talking just about gear. So, first of all, um, the harmonicas you play. I believe you're, you're a Horner and Dorsey, and you play Marine bands. Yeah. Well, I used to be. I, I'm not too much anymore. I did go with Ben's harmonica when that was yeah. there in, in Brazil for a little bit. They flew me down, and they were giving me harmonica. So why not? You know. But you, I mean, you generally you played the Marine Band for a long time, have you? Marine Band and Old Standby. They're the only two I really... I used the Blues Harps a little bit. They were okay. We had another company here. They were from Union, New Jersey. That was a harmonica company. Sugar Blue used to get his harps from this guy. I just can't remember it. That's great. What about chromatics? What chromatics do you like to play? I used the 12 holes, mostly 64s. I like the, the the older ones, you know, with the, with the wood, you know, uh, combs, you know, the 64s and the small ones. But the problem with them is, and I know why they went to that plastic base, because the wooden ones, if they, in the wintertime, you had to watch, they crack. If you didn't keep moist, you know, some kind of humidity going on because they would shrink up, the wood would shrink. And then all of a sudden you got a harp and it doesn't set, you know, it was a great harmonica through spring, summer and fall. And then all of a sudden... Now, now it's done. Uh, and what about playing different positions on Monica? Do you like to uh, use different positions? Yeah, I basically will play first, second, and third. I like fifth position. And what is the guy's name? Sammy Lewis. Uh, he was from Memphis. He did a 45 uh, called You Lied to Me. And that was basically kind of like just a regular shuffle. That was on the one side. The flip side is Somebody Stole My Love. Well, he plays in fifth position on that And that's pretty amazing because he plays great on it. 
and to me, that was like the first time I ever heard anybody playing amplified, you know, a blues harmonica in that position. I mean, it just stands out. He uses the same harmonica. He used a G for the, you know, you know, when they were playing in the key of D. And then, you know, he went up and, and played it when they were playing in the, in the next one. No, fifth position is great, isn't it? It works, it works really well. Yeah. So, yeah. And, you know. Mm. And so, um, do you play any overblows at all? No, I don't do overblows. Basically, I'm not a, a fast player. I don't consider playing a lot of notes. You know, what is that? Yeah. You know, when I got with guys like Paul and stuff, it says, say what you say and mean what you say. Like, you listen to Rice Miller, and he's, to me, is probably the best at this whole stuff. He, he's calling and responding to himself when he says something. You know, when you take a solo, you're supposed to say something. Like, when I'm playing behind, when I was playing behind Jimmy Rogers or anybody, you know, I want to emphasize what Jimmy was saying there. That's what I'm doing. Like when you listen to the 50s saxophone players, you know, playing behind the, the doo-wop groups, that's what they would do. They were in any style of music back then. You know, that's what they did. They didn't go off and play like 60 million notes. You know, you're sitting there and you're, you're you know, I look at it and it says, well, where am I supposed to go now? You know, mm-hmm. I don't even remember the song I was singing. And that's just the way I look at it, you know. And part of your sound is your, you've already mentioned you're a tongue blocker, yeah? So that part of your sound is coming from being a tongue blocker, yeah? Yes. When you listen to Rice Miller, you know, like like here, real quick, here's some, some Sonny Boy. Mm-hmm. That's his, that would be like an intro to him. And and that's the stuff he would like play behind what he's doing on the harmonica, you know. Yeah. Or, you know, Sonny Boy had like you know that stuff he would do. Very nice, Steve. Very nice. Moving on to, to amplifiers, I believe um, now you use a, what, a friend of Princeton, is it? Yeah, that's the one I have for, for my pretty much my duo stuff. Yeah. Is that, that the 65? Or is, is that a kind of smallish amp, isn't it? Yeah, it's it suits, and, and you know, we're, we're not playing as loud that much anymore, you know? Yeah. Which is great, you know? And I actually, that's what I had to use, my, my 410 concert that I had. I don't know what happened to it. I was I went and turned it on earlier before all the guys got there. And when I went to turn it on again, it just was not working. So I don't know what happened. Uh-huh. But I, luckily, I had my, my uh, Princeton right there. Um, it's not a reverb. I don't have a, a reverb one. I wish I did. Is it an original one or is it a reissue? No, it's, a, it's an original. It's a, a early, early 70s. It was, it was, so it yeah. wasn't a, you know, the black, what they call black face. It's a silver, silver that was right around 
And the early silvers were pretty close to the way the black ones sounded, you know. Yeah. And and so you prefer a kind of Fender amp. It's not been customized for harmonic or anything. You just prefer those Fender amps, do you, over these kind of purpose-built amplifiers? You yeah, get, yeah. I, I also used to the Gibson Skylark with the one, with the one I think it's an 8-inch or 10-inch little tiny amps. I recorded my first record on Severn Records on that with one of them. You know, the Past Life Blues, that's what I used. really small amp. But here's one thing that Jimmy Rogers told me. It's funny. We were playing in D.C. and we were getting ready to go both, both into our, our uh, hotel rooms and Jimmy started telling me, he says, you know, we used all the same same stuff you guys use. You know, the microphones, of course, the same harmonicas, but we, and he says, but we use smaller amps because they didn't have those big amps back then. That was just the only difference between what we did back in the, he's talking about back in the 40s. Now, he, you know, he used to back up John Lee. Jimmy used to play guitar behind John Lee Williamson. And he told me John Lee would get a little, you know, tipsy and drinking and he'd pass out and Jimmy would take over the harmonica and the place is going nuts. And then Sonny Poole would get mad and wake up and <laughs> grab the harp out of Jimmy and go back to guitar. He goes, and Jimmy, he was laughing about it, you know. Yeah. And and talking about microphones, I believe you get your you source your microphones from Dennis Grunling, who, of course, has a fantastic harmonica um, microphone business, yeah. Well, Dennis has got him. You know, he's. He, I think he's got the monopoly around the world, doesn't he? <laughs> he certainly does. I've got one of his. Uh, so yeah, he's uh, he does a great job. I don't know where he finds them all, but yeah, he does have some uh, some great mics. Yeah, me neither. I'm amazed. You know, I used to, be, used to be able to see him everywhere. I mean, I don't know if you ever heard of a harmonica player from Toronto named the King Biscuit Boy. He recorded some stuff back in the late late sixties, very early seventies. see him in new york i only met him once he opened up for electric flag at the bottom line in 1974 and he had an ecstatic i didn't know where you got him i didn't know anything about him and he he looked at me he says you really like this microphone don't you i said yeah he says here and he gave it to me i had it for years i'm not sure where it's at anymore that was a crystal then was it yeah and it had it had a sticker on there it didn't have like the little rivets you know to keep the where it was made at you know yeah so that fell off. That's why I, I couldn't remember which one it was. But it was actually made in Canada. You know, Estatic had a, a company in Canada, you know, which is pretty, pretty amazing. So do you prefer crystals? Yeah, it, I used to use the other. I used to use the other ones, the ceramics. Yeah. You know. But yeah, so a bit of both. But yeah, cool, yeah. Yeah, I hate to say what we used to buy them all day long for 15 bucks. Yeah, I know. It's crazy, isn't it? It's insane. And you, you play on... Uh, Dennis Greenling's Little Walter tribute album, don't you? I just keep loving him. Yes, yes, we do a couple of numbers together. That was back in uh, 2008, I think. Yeah, so you played with Dennis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still we, we stay in contact quite a bit. You know, he's uh, he's a great guy, great player. Do you use any effects at all? Any effects pedals? No, nah, no. Nah. 
which what you hear is basically what I yeah. do. So no reverb or, or, or delay even? I don't think that there's a need for that. Mm-hmm. There may be. I mean, sometimes, you know, you, you know, if you're playing something like Blue Lights, yeah, you know, you'll want that, you know, that echo sound, that hollow sound that they, you know, they got. It basically... As the doo-wops groups would say, I'm looking for an echo. If you've ever heard that song. See, what happened is, um, you know, they used to sing on the streets a lot. Then all of a sudden they found out, wow, I go in the hallway, listen to this sound. I go in the subway, listen to that sound. And all of a sudden, everything opened up. I sing better when I'm in in a bathroom in in a club where it has that echo sound. The song is basically, I'm looking for an echo. I echo to our sound. And that's it, you know? Yeah. And my voice is a little messed up today, so I'm not even going to, yeah, yeah. I don't know what happened. No, super. Yeah, so so yeah, just final question then, Steve. Great to speak to you. So uh, about your future plans, what are you doing? Have you got any gigs coming up? Are you still getting out and playing? Well, yeah, we're, we're out playing. I'm waiting for my passport to come back because I'm supposed to come to Switzerland oh, yeah. and play with Nick Moss and Dennis and those guys. We're, doing a, we're supposed to be doing a tribute to Jimmy Rogers. Ah, great. I'm in contact with uh, Richard Farrell, and he's thinking about trying to get me out there. When would that be? Oh, God, I don't know, <laughs> you know, when, when we'd be doing it. And I still talk to, you know, all the different guys I play with, you know, got a, a Herbie Dunkel, you know, from Austria, Tommy Leno, I, you know, we, we keep in touch. Yeah. Then my buddy in France, Pascal Demar was the, was the drummer. Yeah. Who booked us, you know, a lot. Yeah. And all these different guys over there. And there's a lot of them. And I find that most of the musicians in Europe can play this stuff great. I really haven't heard many guys who couldn't pull it off. Yeah, we love it. We love it all around the world, yeah. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's amazing. So thanks so much for joining me today, Steve Geiger. Thank you. Once again, thanks to Zydel for sponsoring the podcast. Be sure to check out their great range of harmonicas and products at www.zydel1847.com or on Facebook or Instagram at Zydel Harmonicas. Thanks to Tom Ellis for once again helping me with the research for this episode. Tom is currently writing a detailed article on Steve, which is due out in May 2023, so watch out for that for more great info on Steve. Also thanks to Kathy, who helped set up the interview with Steve. Apparently Kathy likes to hum along to Steve's harmonica playing. We should get that on record. My exciting announcement today is that the podcast passed the 50,000 download mark last week. So thanks so much for everyone who's listening and making those numbers what they are. Here's the next 50,000. So remember again to check out the podcast website, harmonicahappyhour.com, and the Spotify playlist where most of the tracks referenced can be heard. Now let's finish with Steve playing us out with a live version of his instrumental, Snake Oil. <laughs>